Good afternoon. Happy Friday. Happy Yankee series. It's Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. And literally the second the show starts, we have a transaction. Casey Lawrence up from AAA Buffalo will be active tonight. Jeremy Beasley back down to Buffalo. I know that they set a maximum of five times you can be optioned in a season this year. Kind of feels like Beasley's already been optioned like seven or eight times. I know that that's not true, uh, but he goes down. Minor surprise that Matt Gage didn't join him. The reason that the bullpen needed reinforcements is that Kevin Gosman only went two and a third innings yesterday. They lose 10 to two to the Orioles. He gives up seven, five of them earned a Santiago Espinal uh, helping lead to the others. Matt Gage gives them two out of the pen. Jeremy Beasley gives them three. There are no good things or silver linings about a 10 to two loss to the Baltimore Orioles where you fall 10 games back in the division. If you were searching for one though, it's that the Blue Jays only had to use three bullpen arms, two of them expendable, David Phelps being the other one. When your start only gives you two and a third and you can manage the bullpen in a way that it's not understaffed heading into this weekend series with the Yankees, you got to be happy with that. The Yankees actually did the same thing yesterday. They had the Tampa Bay Rays. They swept them. Poor Ryan Weber. Oof. Three and two thirds of relief, of very good relief. And then DFA'd as Luis Severino returns off the COVID IL Uh, It seems like it was a false positive because that was like an 18-hour stint on the IL for him on the the COVID list. It is Friday. It is Father's Day weekend. It's Jay's Yankees. We're going to be taking your texts throughout the show. You can text them in 595-90. You can tweet me at Blake Murphy ODC as well. Something I'm curious about. uh, So my dad lives in Newfoundland, but when he lived here there was kind of a funny thing because he lived in Cambridge for for most of the time he was here and then Scarborough for a little bit. And I was in Toronto. And when we'd go to Jay's games, he would say, oh, meet me at the hot dog cart. Now, if you've ever been to a Jay's game at Rogers Center, you know that that is not a very specific location. There are a lot of hot dog carts, a lot of different locations, but you go to enough games with your dad, you know which hot dog cart he's talking about. So the text line is open. You can text us your Jay's stuff, 590-590. Again, you can tweet me at Blake Murphy ODC. I'm curious to hear your things like that that you have with your father ahead of Father's Day um, around baseball. Just something that there's a connectivity there. There is a level of experience or, or family ties there where it's you don't need to say which corner that hot dog cart is on you just know um and this doesn't have to be specific to fathers either uh, it can be a mother it could be another family member someone you share baseball with someone you share this weekend with i don't want to limit it to just fathers um yeah let's hear them Five ninety, five ninety. what are your connections uh with a parent with a family member with a close friend uh with baseball that are just unspoken like that. You know which hot dog cart is the hot dog cart among the 20 or 40 or so or however many there are around Rogers Center. That's Sunday. 
the Yankees are here today and they're here tomorrow and they're here Sunday and it's going to be a tough series. You really would have liked to have take taken three of four against the Baltimore Orioles, get those wins while you can in part because you face such a difficult schedule early in the year. You almost feel you're owed that two week stretch against the AL central and the Orioles to make up some ground And also because every day that you don't win, it feels like the Yankees pull further and further ahead. They are 10 games up. They are on pace to win the division by 25 games. Even if they regress fairly significantly from here, it's a big, big gap to make up. You've got 10 left against the Yankees, including three this weekend. If you're going to chip away at that, and if the division is at any point over these final 100 games or so going to be a realistic target, you got to start chipping away at it now, and there's no better way to do that than to beat the team you're chasing. You also have to worry about the Rays creeping up behind you, the Red Sox and the Guardians in the mix, because if at some point your focus changes from, if at some point your focus changes from winning the division to just locking down home field in that wild card series, you're going to have a lot of competition for that as well, and. You can't get swept by the Yankees because the Rays are going to win some games and the Red Sox are going to win some games. The Red Sox schedule is about to turn extremely difficult after uh, about a month of feasting on inferior competition. So we'll see how they hold up. The same is true for the Yankees. They're in the middle of, uh, yeah, they just swept the Rays. Now they'll play the Jays. They've got Houston coming up after. The Jays don't have quite that dramatic a turn in the schedule. Again, they've gotten the most hellacious part of their schedule out of the way, but it's the Yankees. Then they're in Chicago for three and Milwaukee for three. Those teams are, the White Sox bats are are heating up, especially against left-handed pitching. The Brewers are in a bad way right now, but then you've got the Red Sox and the Rays. After that, a lot of games against the Rays. We get that uh, Canada day weekend double header. So it ends up being a five game series over four days with the Rays. It's the AL East. You're never far from a tougher turn of the schedule again. So next week is going to be important to take those games off the White Sox and the Brewers. And this weekend, very important against the Yankees. I think everyone's probably feeling it. I think when the Jays were on a stretch of having won 14 of 18, everyone was looking forward to this as a prove it spot as a, you started the season just okay against really hard competition. Then you got hot against lesser competition Let's see how you hold up against tougher competition again. The shine has come off of that just a little bit the last few days, I think. Again, a 10-2 loss to the Orioles on a Kevin Gosman day is not what anyone was hoping for there. The mood will turn around really quickly if you take two of three off the Yankees or you take three of three off the Yankees. It starts tonight with Ross Stripling going up against Jordan Montgomery. We'll be joined momentarily by Caleb Joseph to break down that one. We have Drew Fairservice from Spin Rate Podcast coming on in a little bit. We've got Maury Brown from Forbes. He's Bizball Maury on Twitter. We've got James Wagner from the New York Times closing us out a little later. A lot of ways to slice up this series. We're going to get away from this series a little bit with Drew Fairservice because we need to talk about this Justin Verlander thing. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, stick around for 3.30. Uh, but right now, we're joined by the man who was Ben Wagner's number two in the radio booth the last couple games. And he'll be on Sportsnet Central this weekend for the Yankees series. Caleb Joseph, how are you, buddy? Hey, doing well. 
Um, right outside the Rogers Center, there's you, there's a buzz. You can already tell for this series against the Bronx Bombers. Exciting for Blue Jays fans. And if it's a little windy, I pardon, pardon. <laughs> but um, excited about this series. Uh, a little windy is uh, not a great thing when you're at Yankee Stadium if you're a pitcher. Not the best thing at the Rogers Center if the, the dome's open today, which I imagine it is as well. Uh, before we look ahead to this one, Caleb, to kind of close the book on that Orioles series, Kevin Gosman struggles again. What, is, what were you most concerned about from his start yesterday and from kind of this last three or four weeks of Kevin Gosman going through it? Yeah, you look at the last three out of four, they have not been his best, especially when he was in the top 10 in the league, averaging over six innings per start. And the chase with that split was at the top five or the top of the league with that split underneath. For me, it's just it's the lateral movement of the split versus the north-south movement. And when, when that split starts to leak more left to right versus up and down, it, it is just it is a barrel finder. And you can still be out in front as a hitter. And without the depth of that pitch, you can still hit it off the end or or you can still get just enough to bloop it into the outfield, which Cedric Mullins had one. Adley Rutschman had one double down the right field line, totally out in front. But the lack of depth allowed Rutschman's barrel to kind of sweep through that zone. For me, it's just it's the fastball getting a little sideways, just that tail, which tells me that he's probably on the side of the ball, right, with his hand. Mm-hmm. And I love getting obsessed with hand placement. So when everything starts to move arm side, which is inside to a right-handed batter for a right-handed pitcher like Gosman is, that's the scary type of movement for me. When he's been going very well, that fastball is just straight as an arrow. And the life, the really true spin of that fastball picks up. That's why you get a lot of swing and miss at the top. And then with that same hand placement to throw that four-seam dead straight, he grips that Vulcan grip boom, comes right over the top in the same place. And that's when you start getting that north and south drop. It just coasts in there, and then almost like it pulls a parachute on itself and just, boom, drops straight down. So is it worrisome? Absolutely. Uh, do I think he's going to correct it? No doubt about it. And Pete Walker's one of the best in the business. But, yes, it just kind of makes you wonder how quickly can he get on track, and he's been doing it for a long time. Hopefully this next start out, he's dialed back in. Did you find, what did you make of his post-game comments? I, I thought he was pretty hard on himself. He said it was embarrassing. He said he really wanted to, to shove it to the Orioles. Uh, do you worry about a guy getting too down on himself? Or, or has he, does he have enough of a track record that, that you think he can kind of avoid the getting in his own head side of things? Oh, no, no. He's not going to get inside of his own head. He's He's competitive, and he demands and expects a lot out of himself, which is why he's one of the better pitchers in the American League and has shown it early on this year. He he just He's not in it just to have fun and show up and, and make his money and get out. He wants to win and be one of the best. Heard him a couple uh, weeks ago on the Jumbotron talking about how Roy Halladay was his, was his kind of favorite pitcher growing up, and he's kind of taken on that same type of mantra. So I have no doubt in my mind that he he is going to spend the next four days figuring that out and he just expects a lot out of himself i mean look if i was kevin gosman i would be embarrassed the way that the baltimore orioles hit me around as well this is nothing 
this is nothing new. This is a good problem. The, the problem that I would have is if he was, oh, you know, I'll just get him next time. Uh, <laughs> you know, just no, no, no. That's embarrassing. That lights a fire. That lights that lights a lot of uh, momentum and just energy to go figure it out. Like, that is not happening again. I'm putting my foot down. We're figuring this out. I love that type of attitude from him. Yeah, I like that a lot. And we're going to see Gosman next against uh, the Chicago White Sox, who uh, have really hit lefties well this year, but less so against righties. So maybe a spot where uh, he can get some confidence back there. Someone who hasn't been struggling at all, is Ross Stripling. He'll go tonight against the Yankees. He's moved into the rotation over the last two starts with Hyunjin Ryu being ruled out for the year and headed for surgery at some point. 11 innings, no earned runs, two hits. If you're Ross Stripling and you're sitting down with what the last two starts have looked like, obviously the difficulty is about to get ratcheted up a lot with the Yankees, but what is the biggest thing you're taking from what you did in the last two times out and keeping that front of mind tonight against a much better lineup? I think it's a master of the mix. That's exactly how I would kind of describe Ross Stripling and the fact that he can throw multiple pitches in multiple counts to multiple zones. He has incredible pitch ability, being able to maneuver around different places. And what that allows a pitcher to do is throw to strengths, throw to weaknesses. Uh, he's added that two seam inside to, to right handers. I love that pitch to be able to back off the right handed hitters to protect some of those soft pitches away. He's been really using that two-seam changeup combo. That's a deadly combo. This changeup is really good. I remember catching it back in 2020, just kind of reaching out there. Just like, it's, it's never going to get here. You know, <laughs> like It's got great sell and great deception, but nothing changes. It's just all about being able to maneuver around, have the game plan, hit his spots. When he hits his spots and he's going to sequence his pitches, he's a very, very smart guy. Don't be surprised, no matter who's catching, if you see a lot of shaking because he's going to have a chessboard in his head out there ready to go, and he's navigating, trying to navigate two and three pitches ahead, and he can because he has that pitch ability. Some guys are just stuck in, I have to throw two pitches, and usually it's either up or down or in or out, and that's kind of it. No, he's playing he's playing chess out there, and he's got a lot of different weapons and uses creativity and his imagination to find ways to get these Yankee hitters out. I wish I knew chess better to make a, a good a good analogy here for the Yankees uh, offense. He's playing chess, and there's like five or six checkmates in that order. So uh, if we were doing checkers, it'd be easier. I'd be like, yeah, there are a bunch of Yankees who have already been kinged uh, or something like that. Uh, so it is, a, it is a tougher night for Stripling, but let's say things go well. He gets through the order twice, and he's you know looking pretty effective. The Jays haven't let him pitch to an order a third time through yet. He only has two plate appearances. Like, they let him face a first and second batter a third time once this year. That's it. What would he have to show you today that next time out, he doesn't have that restriction? You let him go as long as he's pitching well next time out. Analytically speaking, I would say about a nine-run lead. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not sure, to be honest with you, Blake, if there's anything that, like, he can or can't do. I think a lot of it might be dictated by the scoreboard, quite honestly, and the position that the bullpen is in. Um, Bullpen was used quite a bit yesterday, and so that might play a factor into it. But ultimately, in my opinion, the scoreboard is going to either allow Charlie Montoya some leeway or not when it comes to 
leaving him in. I, I mean, I'm I'm a fan of leaving the guy in if you can afford to in terms of if there's a four-run lead, a five-run lead, and then maybe go batter to batter. That's that's one thing I like. Just go batter to batter, especially if you have a guy in the bullpen that can come in and, and get out of some damage, a la David Phelps, who's been fantastic with that this entire year. If he gets through that second time through the order and you've got a two- or three-run lead, go batter to batter. So if the first batter gets on, okay, now we can remove him. If, if he keeps going, well, all it does is continue to save outs needed from your bullpen. But he's done it before. He has creativity, and it's just a matter of can he use that against these Yankee hitters to protect certain zones and to protect certain pitches. I think he can do it, and I would love to see him go through that order three times. Well, that would be something. I, uh, I change my mind on it all the time. I'm very firm tonight against the Yankees lineup that uh, I would only like to see Ross Stripling twice through, um, but like the, that start the other day, and I know he was coming up on his on his pitch max and stuff too, but once he's stretched out, uh, I go back and forth. It's like, well, he's pitching so well. Why wouldn't you roll him? And then it's like, uh, well, it's probably – he's pitching so well over a large sample because you're helping him succeed by keeping him in positions to succeed. Um, on the other side tonight, they're going to face Jordan Montgomery. Um, not exactly a left-handed version of Russ Stripling, but a guy who throws five pitches, who mixes it up a lot. The Jays come in as still, even after yesterday, the hottest offense in baseball over the last almost month. Um, and it's not particularly close. The Yankees have obviously been very good offensively, uh, but the Jays are... Uh, a step ahead of them offensively over the last little bit. But the Yankees come in as the best pitching team in baseball. That's rotation. That's their bullpen has, has the number two bullpen ERA. When a hot lineup faces a hot staff like this, who do you tend to give the edge to? Pitching always beats good hitting. <laughs> <laughs> but some of it is game plan. Um, it's game plan. Can the offense have an amazing approach? And it kind of ties into what Joe and I think you're going to talk to tonight on the pregame show, Blue Jays Central, before the series starter tonight, in that the Orioles series was a really good kind of look. The first and the third games looked totally different than the second and the fourth in terms of Blue Jays offense. So. Mm-hmm. First and third game, they were able to hang out over the plate and just mash those pitches. They had a really good approach. They didn't really swing at anything inside. They weren't really pitched inside, to be honest with you. And then they just waited those Orioles hitters out, and they made mistakes over the plate. They punished them for it. Well, second and fourth game was totally different with Jordan Miles and yesterday with Wells on the mound. Torino's behind the plate. Robinson Torino's been around for a long time. He started establishing that inner lane, that inside pitch to the right-handers, and early on, a lot of uncomfortable swings, getting guys tied up. And so for me, as soon as they were able to establish that, Orioles, that is, that really opened up a lot of chase outside, a lot of weak contact, tons of weak contact, only about four balls really squared yesterday in the game. And so if I'm an opposing pitcher, I'm looking at that stuff, right? I'm sitting there looking at the last five games, how have they gotten – Blue Jays hitters out, what has been successful, and that is what Montgomery can do. He mm-hmm. can crowd them on the inner lane and then throw that two-seam outside, that change-up outside. Reminds me of, um, uh, I cannot remember the name of the left-hander that just threw against the Twins and went about six or seven innings, did a really nice job with a left-handed pitcher. little sinker, change-up away, a lot of weak rollovers. It was because he did something on the inner lane. So kind of wrapping this whole point up, meaning if they can be discipline to either let loose on that inside pitch and try and hit it 450 feet to the pull side 
that's great. You've got to be able to do that and then execute it. Be ready, be on time. Or you've got to be able to hang back, let that inside pitch go, because they're going to have to do something away if they can't establish in. So pick a side from the offensive side. Pick a side of the plate and let it rip and stay disciplined. If, if, if the Blue Jays can stay disciplined on the plate, they always have a great plan, always have a great result, and they usually win games. Yeah, I, li- I like that. And Montgomery's a guy who, if you're not disciplined with that, there aren't many pitchers comfortable pitching just outside the zone and getting you to, to chase on borderline stuff uh, as he's been this year. Caleb, before we let you go, Charlie Montoyo kind of said yesterday, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's the ALE, so you've got to play all these teams. It, your schedule is your schedule. Do you think that there is a sense of intensity in that clubhouse for this weekend as well, given that they have turned things around and the bats have been going, but the Yankees come in as, you know, with a 10 game lead in the division. Basically the Yankees have been ridiculous. Do the, do the Jays feel like they want to take them down a peg? Do you think? Oh yeah. And rightfully so. Um, Like you alluded to the, a lot of publications, a lot of national, attention on these two teams coming into the season and the Jays really haven't even totally hit their stride. Yes, they went on an eight game heater there for a while. Um, but in terms of really putting it together for an entire month, I don't even think they've been able to do that. So yes, there is, there is some, Hey, it's, it's the Yankees. You know, <laughs> I mean, everybody wants to be the Yankees, right? Everybody, right. Unless you're from New York, but um, I don't think there's a team meeting about it. I don't think they have to, there's just kind of this unspoken, feeling and sense in a clubhouse like okay let's step it up even though a win against the Yankees counts the exact same as a win against the Baltimore Orioles they count the exact same but for some reason the drama players are not uh what's the word they're they're not tunnel visions to not understand what's going on and the fact that people want to see this as a player you understand that and and you feel it as well so hopefully there's a lot of energy hopefully the Blue Jays come out and just start rocking them and socking them early on and put a bunch of runs on the board, let Stripling kind of settle in and just set the tone for this big three-game series here in Toronto at the Rogers Center. Caleb Joseph, appreciate you coming on with us to help us set the tone and looking forward to you on Blue Jays Central a little later on and all weekend to set the tone game by game. Thanks so much, buddy. You got it. Thanks, Blake. Caleb Joseph, Sportsnet Analyst, sometime on the Sportsnet Radio Network with Ben Wagner. This weekend on Blue Jays Central on your television side. Again, the Jays get going against the Yankees tonight. 707 first pitch. Ben Wagner on the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. He'll have you all weekend. Blair and Barker got you post game tonight as well. We don't have a Jays lineup yet. We should get that momentarily. I asked you off the top to text in or tweet in. Again, you can text 59590. Tweet me at Blake Murphy ODC. Um, Unspoken baseball things or or things that you don't have to specify with either your dad or or another family member or another friend. And mine was, you know, the meeting place is the hot dog cart around Rogers Center. That's not very specific, but you go to enough games and that's uh, that's an unspoken thing. So uh, we've got a couple in the text line. Make sure you include your your name and your location so we can shout you out. This one doesn't have uh, this one isn't signed, but seventh inning stretch in the WestJet flight deck. Uh, I assume that one is in that case you didn't go to the game with your dad or whoever you're talking to. You're meeting up with them there, uh, but still a good one. 
Jakob from Toronto says, my dad hates baseball, so we'd only go on Sundays after church. Uh, you had to get a bite to eat in between mass and the game, so you only got there around the 4th and then left early. I'm sorry, Jakob. I hope that you get full games in now uh, on your own. That's a tough one. Uh, we have one from from Scarborough here. Uh, shout out to your dad and shout out to Scarborough. Uh, his dad wasn't a big baseball fan, but he has a four-year-old and he's planning to take him to a game this year. Uh, maybe the Spider-Man bobblehead game. And he asks, is four too early for a Jays game? I don't have kids, so I don't know the answer to this. I've taken a four-year-old um, to a game before with my, I don't know how to phrase it. I think step-nephew is the is what the, this kid's relation to me is, so my stepbrother's son. Um, but I went with my dad and my stepmom, so I had help, and it was a little bit much. Nine innings was a lot. Uh, my brother has a one-year-old and wants to bring his one-year-old to a game this year. I think that's way too early. That's uh, begging for trouble. I think four is okay as long as you're comfortable with the idea that you might have to leave after a couple innings. Uh, the doctor says his dad has been his or her dad has been soft launching, becoming a Yankees fan for a couple months, and they're afraid of going to the game where uh, Kikuchi starts will turn him into a full time bleacher creature. Uh, luckily for you, you don't have to worry about that just yet. It's uh, you've got a stripling start tonight. You've got Manoa as well. And I'm drawing a blank on Sunday's starter. But it is Kikuchi now that I look it up. So maybe don't bring him to the Sunday game. I don't know, doctor. You, uh, uh, oh, and Jakob says he's now a season ticket holder and his son has a, a good baseball dad in him. So that's great. That's a great way for that one to turn out. Leanne says a few years back, she took her dad to a game, sat in right field behind Jose Batista. Her dad mocked her for bringing a glove to the game, and then he wanted to wear the glove. Leanne's dad, Hank, exposed, exposed for chirping the glove and then wanting to wear it. We'll keep looking at your texts, and they they don't have to be about this. They can be about the game tonight, about the games this weekend, but keep them coming at 590-590. When we come back, we'll take a look at more of those. We'll also talk to our pal Drew Fairservice of the Spin Rate Podcast we're going to do some dreaming about what this Jays team could have looked like in a scenario where they signed Justin Verlander. Not a crazy scenario, according to Justin Verlander. We'll talk about that, and we'll te- continue teeing up the Yankee series with Drew Ferris Service next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Jay's Talk Plus. Happy Friday afternoon. Looks like the sun's still trying to stay out there. A little windy. Nice night for a ball game, though. It's shaping up to be. We're joined now on Jay's Talk Plus by the host of Spin Rate Podcast, Drew Fairservice. Drew, what uh, ha- has anyone in Orangeville slept after Andrew Wiggins wins an NBA championship last night? That's a great question. That's a great question. I think in, in Orangeville, we are... Uh, 
this is a Jamal Murray country, you know, given his uh, attendance at Athens to nearby. But uh, the excitement uh, from Wiggins winning a ring is a spread from coast to coast to coast, no doubt. <laughs> Jamal Murray is a Kitchener guy. Don't ever get that uh, twisted. Drew, we have been talking to some people on the text line about um, this being Father's Day weekend or about taking kids to games in general. I know you are a father. Uh, Is four years old too young to take a kid to a game? Someone asked this in the text line, and I do not have the requisite experience to answer the question for them. Absolutely not. I brought my kid to a game when they were younger than that. You just have to go in with an open mind, understanding it's going to, you're going to have to funnel food into their face to keep <laughs> them entertained and don't be under any false uh, delusions that you're going to be there before the bottom of the ninth. Um, hey. Most of the time it's going to mean that you're going to have to jet out because you know, you're doing a lot of sitting around, but four years old, absolutely no sweat. I've taken my kids to all kinds of wild places, a blue Jays game or a baseball game in general. Is, uh, is no big deal. I think when my, my youngest was four, we went to, yeah, no, we went to uh, Pittsburgh and saw the Giants as well. So oh, traveled P- near and far. PNC is a, if you're going to take a kid to a ballpark, PNC has got to be right near the top of the list. So um, that's good to hear. Thank you for that, Drew. Um, for I forget who asked that in the text line. Uh, but there you go. Drew Fair Service says you can do it at age four. Tonight, the Blue Jays are going to take on the New York Yankees. And they're at a disadvantage in the pitching matchup. There's not much way around that. They'll have Stripling, Manoa, Kikuchi up against Montgomery, Tyon, and Garrett Cole, who is the worst pitcher in that in that rotation so far with a 330 ERA. Um, but there is a scenario we found out today, Drew, where the Jays could be throwing Justin Verlander opposite one of those names, Jeff Passan at ESPN had a deep dive with Verlander on a lot of things, but also on his uh, free agency. And he said that Houston was at the top of the list, um, but then they kind of fell off. I would say the leader was probably Toronto. They were great. I talked to George Springer a bunch. They were very proactive to the point that when I signed with Houston, I made sure to let them know that I appreciated it all. Uh, so it sounds like the Jays were really close on Justin Verlander. How hard for the is this going to be for you to get over? I mean, it, it, it's hard to get over in that he's bounced back so well and has pitched so well in 2022. Now, obviously, there's a lot of risk mm-hmm. tied up in, in Justin Verlander in the winter before anybody knew. And in that story, he talked about like the kind of aches and pains and the weirdness and, and just soreness that's come into his elbow. Like it, it's hard. And, and as he, uh, and, and Passan kind of uh, get into, uh, it's like, it was tough. And, and he's an older guy who's gone through this rehab, but it, it would really be pretty nice to have signed Justin Verlander. But then at the same time, you don't know what, what would that money have gone to? Does, if, if they signed Justin Verlander, does that mean no Matt Chapman? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. It's hard to say, um, especially given you know what he got from Houston with the $25 million for the one year and then a $25 million um, option for, for next season based on uh, innings and stuff. Um, so, I mean, if, if, if you said to me, would you rather the Blue Jays have signed Justin Verlander and, uh, versus Yusei Kikuchi with, <laughs> in a vacuum, I'm going to say yes. But at the same time, there are some other pieces that, that have fallen in place um, you know, where would the Blue Jays be? If it, what if it was 
if it was instead of Kikuchi and and, and Jimmy Garcia or and and um, Chapman. Like there are a lot of different variables at play, but Justin Verlander in a Blue Jays uniform would look pretty pretty good. So so they don't get Justin Verlander. You could look elsewhere in that AL West division though to the solution to this problem. Drew, you got to sell me on what I know is not even a plan B for you. It, it's plan A, 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 A. You going to will into existence the Jays being able to shake Shohei Otani free to resolve not only the left side of the uh, batting order, but also the rotation? Look, there never has been a more perfect player for this dated Blue Jays team. <laughs> the, the fact that there's never been a more perfect player in baseball history Look, there, there was the story that Ken Rosenthal wrote the Athletic earlier this week looking at the uphill battle the Angels faced to be able to get and keep him in uniform. Shohei Otani wants to be the highest-paid player in baseball. Um, they, you know, I, I think that I saw a quote in the aftermath that was, the Angels can't let him walk, but also if they sign him, they're done. You know what I mean? Because then now they're going to have – they'll have more than 100 or 105 or $10 million tied up in three players. You know, if, if, if Otani's making $45 million a year and Chubb's making – 37 and 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 Jones making 30 or 35 whatever it is like just an unbelievable amount of money uh that you know every team's got a budget even the angels even even Artie moreno so uh the, if the angels were smart but also insane they would look into trading shohei otani and if that situation were to come to pass the blue jays have to must must be at the front of the line doing whatever it takes whatever it takes to get shohei otani uh in in toronto because he's, he's perfect he pitched so boringly well last night it was like there, from about two or three pitches into the game, I was like, well, this is over. Because yeah. uh, that's what he does. And he's coming around. He's got like a 130 weighted runs created. Plus, you know, it's, it's not been as spectacular at the start of the season, but not, you know, strikeouts are on their way down, walks are on the way up, um, still hitting for power, using his legs, stretching extra bases. It's incredible. He would be, you know, better than perfect for this Blue Jays team. Unlikely as it be, I'm going to, <laughs> as you said, will it into it. Yeah, you go down the top prospects list. There's not a name on there that you couldn't have if it meant Shohei Otani. You know, it's better than having the MVP runner-up. Also having you, also having the MVP. Um, the poor Angels, though, I, I weep for them that they might have to pay the two best players in baseball fair salaries at the same time. Oh no, you poor, you poor guys. Um, so yeah. let's look ahead to this weekend, and I'm gonna have James Wagner on from New York Times in a little bit. This is a bit tangential, but he had this piece up today about Cuban major leaguers wanting to form their own WBC team because Cuba isn't in. Uh, they they just want to do their own uh, their own side team um, of major leaguers. And Alec Manoa was listed among there. I, I know you have a, a story of talking to a teammate of his in Vancouver. Um, and how does that? I mean, I guess just. How much would you like to see Alec Manoa on a stage like that, knowing that we're going to see the very best version of Alec Manoa tomorrow against the Yankees because he wants the Yankees. This guy is a big game guy. Um, The idea of him in the WBC, the idea of him tomorrow against the Yankees, the idea of him in a wild card game, uh, Alec Manoa is a lot of fun. And I don't really know how to frame that as a question, Drew, other than to let you riff off of it. Well, the idea of Alec Manoa, who is, you know, no shrinking violet, as they say, who has that big personality and, and just is that guy, right? He is that guy all the time. He's that guy. He's that guy in every room. He's been that his whole life. And that was when I was in Vancouver uh, a few weeks back, I was chatting with a member of the, of the Canadians. And, you know, I think some of the guys on the team when, when Manoa was there 
we're a little bit unsure of what to make of him because he is, as I, you know, he's that guy. He's got a huge personality. He's not ashamed. He's not embarrassed. He is, you know, just a, it's all out there. It's as plain as day. So people weren't sure what to make of him. And one of his former teammates was like, he's Cuban. Like that was his, that was the beginning and the end of his explanation. He's like, what do you want, what do you want him to do? He's Cuban. So the, the idea of Manoa, who is like a really, again, just like a, such a, a, a an energetic presence in a dugout with so many, with an entire dugout full of guys, just like that guys who have a lot of personality, which, you know, we've seen from the Cuban ball teams before, obviously the guys who have stayed in Cuba, they with the red pants and the red uniforms and, you know, like playing with a certain, in a, in a certain style. Um, I, I think that while, you know, when you think about some of the, some of the guys who, who would be on that team, like Jose Abreu and Yasmani Grandal and, and uh, Juan Moncada, basically all the other White Sox plus, plus uh, Alec Manoa, uh, it would be a good team. I mean, maybe some, some, of those, some of those edges have been rounded off from playing in the, in the kind of no fun big leagues for a little while. But I think that it would just be, be great to get him out there on that stage with, that, with those high-profile players. Um, and like you said, he's a big, he's a big game guy. He, he, he wants that attention. Uh, I'm sure that I, I've made this joke sort of riff before, but Brian, if you watch the Yankees play and you look at the Yankees, you know that Brian Cashman loves nothing more than a big, tall dude. <laughs> so I'm sure that Manoa, but what, when Brian Cashman watches Manoa shove over and over against his Yankees, he's just licking his chops, looking like way down the road for like when the time that he can do what he can to make Alec Manoa a Yankee. Obviously, the Blue Jays fans want that to never, ever come to pass. But, you know, the idea of him on a big stage seems like just the right fit. He's pitched so well against the Yankees. He's going to need to pitch so well against the Yankees this weekend. Um, but it's just one of those things that I, I always really look forward to. And, uh, you know, the Yankees are, in some ways, the Yankees are a good matchup for, for Manoa um, with only a couple, you know, with Rizzo and Gallo being the kind of main lefties that might be in the, in the mix um, with lefties kind of giving Manoa a little bit of trouble relative to the righties who seem powerless to stop him. So a good matchup and, uh, and, and a fun and important matchup for Blue Jays fans too. Yeah, that, that Cuban roster you lay out of Cuban major leaguers, uh, managed, of course, by Tony La Russa <laughs> of uh, the Chicago White Sox, of course. Um, okay, so let's talk about some of those Yankees hitters. Um, this is a big series, and I know Ross Stripling's on the hill tonight, not Alec Manoa. Manoa did look a little better against lefties last time out, uh, seemed to have a, a better plan for them and, and a better attack. Um, and just to, sorry, to just kind of share on your, your Vancouver Canadian story there, I had Ricky Romero in studio with me earlier in the week, and he said he he relayed a story of, um, you know, he did a couple games of commentary out there, and after an Alec Manoa start, Manoa grabbed him and was like, what'd you see? Like, what can I do better? What can I do better? And yeah, I would imagine at that level of the minors, it's a little arresting for some guys, uh, but it's what makes Manoa Manoa. He will go up against names like Joey Gallo this weekend. Joey Gallo, who hits from the left side and carries a lot of power and was having a real, real, real tough time to start this year. He started to turn it around. Uh, if you're going with a Yankees kind of fear index, Drew, just how high does Gallo rank for you? Cause I know, I know he's your guy. I, I have nothing but affection for Joey Gallo's game. It's come over time. Uh, at first, you know, uh, uh, the, the truest of true, true, true outcome guys. Uh, who also plays the heck out of the outfield and is like very athletic, got a great arm. Uh, you know, it, it can be a little bit of an awkward fit, but you know, and he strikes out so much, which can really get a lot of people down, and understandably so, because he often he does he doesn't look good in the process. He, he has a big swing, he doesn't cut it down, 
you, you see people screaming bunt against the shift and things at him. But uh, Joey Gallo is terrifying. He's truly terrifying. He is, he's got so much power. He is such a game. He can be a real game changer. And, you know, while we talk about the strikeouts and they're obvious and you can't not talk about the strikeouts, he's one of the most patient hitters in baseball, which kind of gets him probably into some of that strikeout trouble. Um, but if he, if he is, um, you know, has a sound approach, you know, it's his, it's his own approach, but it, when it's sound, when it's on, when he's able to spit on those borderline pitches and get himself into advantageous counts, if, you know, if, I can't think of a worse place to be than 2-0 or 2-1 uh, against Joey Gallo. I mean, uh, if you're Alec Manoa and you're, you're maybe still a little unsure or maybe don't trust or, or can't rely on your changeup quite as much as you need to, um, you know, unless you can, if you can get that slider back onto his back foot, then, yeah, you're going to get some swing and miss. But if you leave it over the plate, it's going to go an awful long way. Or if he can pick it up early and and um, and let it let it go, now you're behind even further, and he's looking for a fastball that he can drive to any part of any ballpark, and it's going to go over the fence. Uh, he's he's just a. I mean, the, the Yankees have been hitting him so far down in the order. It's crazy to think that that's you know that's Joey Gallo. He, he's a power hitter with with few parallels in the big leagues. If he can get going, if they're able to sort of slightly slowly inch him up into the lineup to kind of break up that, that barrage of righties that they've got offsetting uh, with Anthony Rizzo, who looks like the Anthony Rizzo um, of old, taking advantage of a ballpark that seems custom built for him and his swing. It's a, it's a scary lineup. It's, it's a really scary lineup, but yeah, Joey Gallo is, you know, obviously like Aaron judge is the, is the, is the straw that, that stirs the drink uh, in the Yankee lineup. But when you can add guys like Gallo who are, who are making things difficult on pitchers, as opposed to the opposite at the beginning of the season, it's uh, it makes for a really scary proposition going up uh, against that Yankees lineup all the way one to nine. Yeah, you get you get down two zero to the number nine hitter and leadoff expert Aaron Judge is maybe I know Lemayhu has led off as well, but uh, Aaron Judge is on deck as the leadoff hitter and you're down to the number nine hitter. You're like, oh, I better attack him, and it's Joey Gallo. It's uh, it's not a great situation to be in. And then they're even getting. I mean, we don't need to go too deep on this because the the dust will fade off at some point, but they're even turning Matt Carpenter into a, an MVP. Now, uh, Aaron judge is obviously Aaron judge Giancarlo Stanton, Anthony Rizzo. They, they, it doesn't seem to stop with this lineup. Even, even Jose Trevino has become quite a hitter this year. Um, so if you're the Jays and you're coming into this weekend, does it come down to really for you other than, you know, Manoa is, is a gamer and you trust him in that, in that spot, but how, huge of a lift is this for the offensive side and you know a guy like Vlad continuing to stay hot a guy like Springer uh, maybe finding his footing again I'd imagine the bar is pretty high for the offense to clear this weekend yeah I mean you know you're not gonna shut the Yankees out and I mean the Blue Jays have have had given up a few uh, runs here and there in the last little you know last few weeks even though they keep winning you know the uh, blowout loss in Detroit and a couple big uh, games for the for Baltimore even scoring runs, so the offense is going to need to kind of hold their own and, and just score. I think the biggest thing for the pitching staff is is kind of recognizing who you're facing and what they're capable of doing. And and it, you know, like kind of not unlike what we saw when the Cubs <laughs> faced the Yankees, and hopefully with a better outcome, but like just try to give up so, solo home runs. Basically, is where I would mm-hmm. where I would look at. And I think like just don't walk anybody, don't walk anybody. Uh, and and obviously you want to try to keep them in the ballpark, and you want to. Uh, work guys like DJ LeMahieu going to try to they are going to try to want to work him inside, try to turn him into a bit of a pull hitter because he's so powered, such a good hitter going out to right field. Um, so I think it's just keep him in the ballpark. 
uh, keep the don't don't let those uh, don't let those free passes start to stack up because then you get yourself into a, into real trouble. And you know, as we as everyone knows, you know, that be, a couple big innings or one big inning can just doom not only the game but then the, the games that come after. Right? If you get a blow up start, if it's you know not the you know I'm, I'm confident, and I think a lot of folks are confident of what Ross Stripling can do. But if it, if it's a short outing and then it's you know one bullpen arm after another bullpen arm after another bullpen arm, that can really affect. You know, not just the next couple of days, but the next week, week or so as well. So I'm really, I'm if I'm the Blue Jays, a yes, I'm looking to score as many runs as I can. I'm really studying what it is that these these Yankees pitchers are doing. Uh, I know there's some a lot of talk about Jordan Montgomery's uh, sinker. You know, kind of going mm-hmm. back to this to sinker as the fastballs have, have uh, were rising and rising and rising for years. Now it's moving back down to the bottom of the zone, perhaps. And and of course, all the Yankees kind of throwing the sweeper slider thing that uh, was the talk of the talk of kind of the nerd world at the beginning of the season more so, but, you know, just really doing your homework. If you're the Blue Jays offense, trying to get in there, see if you can, you can make a dent against the Jordan Montgomery's and, and, and James and Tyon. Cause you know, well, well, you, you joke and it's fun to joke and it's fun to, to make comments about Garrett Cole being the worst pitcher, the number five starter. Uh, he's still Garrett Cole. And uh, you don't want to, uh, if, if you can avoid it, you don't want to be facing him come, uh, Sunday, either looking to avoid a sweep or uh, potentially win the series, right? Be, if you're the Blue Jays, hopping out to a quick start in the series is probably a good way to go with him looming at the back end of it. Yeah, you'd sure, you'd sure prefer that. Uh, Drew, uh, before I let you go, a question in the text line uh, that I'll throw your way, and you keep those texts coming to 590-590. This one's from Mike in Burlington. He asks, do you think Springer is going through a bit of a rough patch? He seems uh, frustrated and doesn't look like his timing is right at the plate. Uh, Mike also asked if that's why he got an off day. The off day is just part of the George Springer plan. They're going to work in off days and DH days for him. Um, But what are you seeing from Springer at the plate who quietly, you know, the only Jay who hasn't been hot really lately? I mean, I think it's kind of his turn. He's a big leaguer, right? Like these things come and go and, uh, you know, physically, it can be challenging, you know, to stay healthy and to get yourself ready and be on time and all those, you know, kind of baseball swing cliche things you hear. Um, you know, when you look at his numbers, he, he's been through another, he was kind of going through another slump earlier in the season while a lot of the team was slumping, but on the whole, you know, kind of prior to this little skid, he looked like himself, you know, his, his numbers were good. And, and he, you know, how many leadoff home runs has he already hit this year? I'm getting the team off to a fast start, kind of doing it all. I, I'm not. I, I'm not worried about George Springer to the point that it hadn't even like really wasn't even really on my radar that he was that he hadn't been swinging the bat quite as much as or quite as well as, as he had uh, had been in the in the in the weeks previous. So I'm not. I'm not worried. Again, I think it's just the it's just the nature of the beast. It's just sort of adjust and and then fix and assess and just one thing after another. I know there was a lot of talk. You know, for example, about Jordan Romano using that bit of downtime to sort of isolate some things and make these minute mechanical changes that can make a huge difference. And to me, uh, again, given a guy like George Springer, who's been healthy, you know, by and large this year, which is a, which is a great, a great sign, but health is a relative thing. You could, you know, there's always stuff that's going on probably behind the scenes in terms of playing through some pain or playing through some discomfort. And, you know, if it's at that point where he's still able to be out there on the field, hopefully he's able to again make those adjustments that can get him back on track. But Springer is uh, the guy that I'm the least worried about when it comes to streaks and, 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 and slumps and things like that. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. It'll it'll even itself out. He'll round into form at some point. 
And at least the other bats have picked him up during this. It's not like earlier in the year where everyone except Springer seemed to slump at the same time. Uh, Drew Fairservice, never a slump from you. Appreciate you taking the time this afternoon. Uh, Keep up the great work on spin rate and have a great weekend, man. Thank you, my friend. Drew Fairservice, co-host of the Spin Rate podcast over at The Athletic with Caitlin McGrath and our pal Ricky Romero from time to time. Great stuff they do over there. We don't have a Jays lineup yet. We do have a couple small updates. Casey Lawrence has been activated. Jeremy Beasley back down to AAA Buffalo. And a few of the beat reporters noting that Otto Lopez has a locker at Rogers Center and is out there taking some ground balls. No corresponding roster move yet. You are, of course, looking at a team that, well, one, has to switch out a pitcher for a position player by Monday because of the roster restrictions that that come into play Monday. Uh, Two is dealing with Matt Chapman's sore wrist that has had him in and out of the lineup of late. And three, Bo Bichette fouled the ball off his foot and came out of the game yesterday. X-rays were negative, uh, but it's worth keeping an eye on. Regardless, Otto Lopez, pretty high up the Jays farm system ranking, depending on where you look. He's been as high as five within the organization. Some places fan graphs is a little lower on him, had him 12th in the organization He's 23. He might be ready. This is his second turn at AAA. He hasn't hit very well this year. He's hitting 225 with a 318 OBP and 342 slugging. But Lopez has generally projected as kind of a utility piece anyway. He has hit at every level of the minors prior to this season. And he had that one plate appearance everyone surely remembers. Uh, last year with the Jays. Um, so this is a, this has been a little out of character for him to hit this poorly over 35 games at AAA on the process side. You'd like that. He's still not striking out very much. Uh, he walks a, a decent amount for his hitter type. He's been a little unfortunate on, on balls in play. Realistically though, he's probably projects as a, as a bench piece unless something unlocks for him. Uh, so not quite as exciting as Gabriel Moreno getting called up. But Otto Lopez could be in the mix sometime this weekend or maybe next week. Uh, The assumption, at least in these parts, has been that Zach Collins would be the extra position player up. But maybe not. Maybe it's Otto Lopez, especially if Matt Chapman or Bo Bichette are banged up. We'll keep an eye on the lineup as it rolls out within the next hour. We'll also talk to James Wagner of the New York Times. And after this break, we'll talk to Maury Brown of Forbes about... I'm going to ask him about the F uh, about the F1 race here this weekend. Uh, we're going to talk about teams being cranky at other teams profiting off revenue sharing. And this is a guy who knows his Jay as well. We'll see what he thinks the Jay should do in the wake of the Hyunjin Ryu injury. That's next with Maury Brown on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. to Jay's Talk Plus. We got a few updates for you. I'm Blake Murphy, by the way. Uh, that was Drew Fairservice just before the break there. Caleb Joseph a little earlier, who you could check out on the call tonight with Ben Wagner on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We have some Jay's updates. I mentioned earlier Casey Lawrence up, Jeremy Beasley down. Otto Lopez is around, but just on the taxi squad for right now. An MRI on Matt Chapman showed inflammation in his wrist joint. 
but he's able to play and is in the lineup today. That's per Ben Nicholson-Smith. Bo Bichette is getting a day off with a foot contusion. He tested out his foot earlier this afternoon. I guess it's still bothering him. He was limping a little bit after during the game yesterday after he came out. Uh, he fouled one off his foot, so he'll get a day off. Matt Chapman continues to try to play through it. Danny Jansen is also beginning some light baseball activity. I might do that myself this weekend. A little light baseball activity, play catch, take some dry swings. Everyone's moving in the right direction, I guess, except Bo Bichette. Here's your lineup for the Toronto Blue Jays today as they start a series against the New York Yankees. Opposite Jordan Montgomery. They'll go George Springer in the leadoff spot. Santiago Espinal hitting second and playing shortstop with Bo Bichette getting the day off. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Alejandro Kirk hitting cleanup once again at the designated hitter position. Teoscar Hernandez in right. Matt Chapman hits six. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Gabriel Moreno catches Ross Stripling again and hits eighth. Kevin Biggio rounds it out as the lone lefty in the lineup playing second base with Espinal over at short. We'll keep an eye out for the Yankees lineup momentarily. Um, Danny Jansen, again, uh, light receiving work and some dry swings. Matt Chapman playing through an MRI that revealed some inflammation. And Bo Bichette getting a day off due to a foot contusion after fouling a ball off his foot yesterday. Jordan Montgomery on the other side. Ross Stripling for the Jays. Before we get into the specifics of that matchup, we're joined now by Maury Brown of Forbes. Bizball Maury, how are you, man? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. Uh, I want to talk to you about baseball, but first, it's F1 weekend here in Canada. It's the Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal. Have you felt the momentum slow a little bit on the F1 side? I know you're a motorsports guy, so I wanted your take on it as well. No, I think it's actually on the upswing. Perfect. Um, you know, yeah, you know, ratings have been up. I mean, in the U.S., a big thing, right? Liberty Media, which is a U.S.-based company, they own the Braves, they own DirecTV, they own Sirius XM Radio. Um, they have seen, you know, substantial profits and rebounding with it. And I think that what you're, you know, maybe seeing right now is – um, you know, some questions about the schedule. Uh, Monaco keeps coming up, but it's, you know, it's such a classic race that I think that they'll obviously keep it. I think that they'll eventually get a race in maybe South Africa to get it there, but uh, Las Vegas next year. So they're in an expansion period right now. And the, on the money side and on the interest side, at least in the U.S., it's been substantial. So um, looking forward to the race. I really am. I think that, you know, uh, there's a lot of questions around Ferrari right now with um, the way that they've had problems with their power plants, but um, it should be a fun race. It should be great. Fun weekend for sports here in general. Uh, the Grand Prix, the Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal on Sunday. Game two of the Stanley Cup playoffs tomorrow. Andrew Wiggins and Jama Malalela, Gary Payton the second, all with some Toronto ties uh, celebrating NBA championship. And of course, the Yankees are here. The Yankees' level of dominance so far, Maury, at what point, obviously we're saying they'll probably regress eventually. They're not going to win 125 games in modern MLB times, but at what point do we have to 
significantly adjust our expectations from, you know, the Yankees were in the mix for the AL East title before the season, and now they are surely the favorites and probably going to win. But at what point do we have to start thinking larger with this Yankees team, just given how big an outlier they've been? Yeah, I think you have to look at it now. Normally, you would maybe look at this in terms of, you know, after the All-Star break, but I don't see them taking the foot off the gas right now. I mean, they are going to regress. They will. Um, the, the thing about it is, is so will everybody else at some point, right? And that's the issue. Um, if you're a Blue Jays fan, of course, I think right now the, the, the problem, well, or the challenge has been, you know, Ryu has been a question mark for a while. I think many of us thought that he was going to have to have significant surgery, and now we know that that's true. So there's questions about what happens at the trade deadline. But if, uh, you know, as a Blue Jays fan, you know, do you want to aspire to win the, the division? Sure. I think that they would be happy and should not just be happy, but the expectation should be to get in with the wild card. Again, we have three wild card teams in each league now, and I, I don't see a situation in which um, the Blue Jays aren't one of those three. Right. Um, when you look at the way the – AL is shaping up and this I know Cleveland's not too far off and and there are other teams that that could make a push but say this ends up being a playoff format that is just hey the whole AL East gets in except for Baltimore do you think the league's happy with that do they do they care at all who these teams are as long as uh, there are more playoff spots are they even happy that you know, it's it's more assured that teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox, and yes, the Jays who don't move the needle as much for U.S. television ratings, but uh, sell out a very large stadium here when the games matter. Like, is the league cool with that, or would they prefer a little more divisional parity? I mean, they always, you know, baseball, unlike any other sport, is really star-driven than brand-driven. So, of course, they want to see, you know, historic brands. The Jays are important. I mean, it's because, you know, Canada's a big place, right? I mean, maybe not from a population perspective, but it's still. They, you know, like to see, you know, something where it's evenly distributed in the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. I mean, you you don't want to have a flyover, what, you know, we would call a flyover World Series where nobody really, you know, cares about it, or it's it's the you know bike or single coastal, where it's you know East Coast or West Coast teams. So, yeah, they're always going to like that. They'll always say what matters most, and this is largely true. We really don't care as long as the best baseball is there and the best teams are involved. So, that's where it is. But the reality is, from television and everything else, and then of course, growing, you know fringe fan interest, you, you of course start looking at large brands that are in that. And that, of course, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, depending upon how you um, align, largely means man, uh, brands like the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, etc. And, and the other brands seem all too willing to just take the revenue sharing and not be competitive. Uh, other teams complaining about the A's taking revenue sharing money and not spending when shocker they've done this before uh not a huge uh not a huge groundbreaking thing when you look at the al east though the rays are at least a team that do some of that stuff while competing obviously the yankees and the red sox have big big budgets that on a average year basis the jays maybe won't keep up with 
What is it you'd like to see the Jays try to address in general, but also in the wake of the Hyunjin Ryu injury? Yeah, it's going to be on the pitching side in general. I mean, you know, it's it's a cliche that pitching does matter, wins, right? Pitching decides you're winning. But it really, really will matter in the postseason. And again, I mean, if you're sitting there going, well, you know, we're maybe the winning the division isn't the thing. You, you, you have to be set up and primed to be able to do something in the postseason. And maybe then, you know, if, you are, if your arms are at full strength, you know, and the bullpen isn't stretched, that you could, you know, go in a multi-game series with the Yankees and knock them off. So I still think it's there. I really do. I mean, of course it matters elsewhere, but it, there's that ebb and flow of the season where it's up and down and trying to make a determination in the overall about things on the offensive side can swing pretty fast. It's going to matter in terms of consistency. And then, again, because of the bullpen, because of your starting rotation, you just don't want to stretch out your bullpen if you can help it. So starters do matter. And, again, since Ryu is out, right, you're going to have to wonder about that, whether there's going to be some bullpen, you know, uh, damage or really, you know, uh, stretching it out. And, And that's what you're going to try to avoid. Right. Um, And the Yankees, obviously, they have quite the rotation right now. So maybe that's, you know, I worry a little bit about if you're trying to address the bullpen, uh, do the Yankees with their financial might and their their bullpen has been the number two bullpen in the league by ERA. But that's probably something they want to address as well. You're bidding against uh, the team with the deepest pockets. And then for a starting pitcher, maybe there aren't as many teams willing to pay those prices or needing to address that. you're not going to keep up. The Jays have outhit the Yankees over the last almost month, uh, but in general, you're not going to keep up with them on a home run basis. I'm curious, Maury, as to your take on where Aaron Judge is at right now, where he turns down a contract that was alleged to be seven years and paying him a little over $30 million a year, and it looks like, man, it's going to be hard for you to get more money than that. What kind of season would you have to have? And he's showing us here with, uh, you know, he's been almost double the league average player in terms of weighted runs created plus, 25 home runs, hitting over 300. What do you make of Aaron Judge's bet on himself so far this season? Well, I mean, said what you want to see, right? Well, uh, what you want to see is he bets on himself that whoever signs him, that trajectory continues, right, in a walk year. So, um, you know, is he going to hit 60 home runs? I think that it's very possible. Is he going to hit 70? No. Is he going to hit 65? Maybe. So um, I, I look at it in terms of the historic, where things are at right now. I mean, we haven't had this conversation since the PED era. <laughs> you know, with the ball, the ball is – you know, there's been talk about the ball's actually deadened a little bit now. Like, it really helps that he plays in Yankee Stadium. You know, if you look at the at teams, that's right. I'm not an irrespective judge, just at the Yankees. They hit 10 percentage points lower on the road than they do at home. And that's due to the fact that, you know, the way that ballpark is and whether it's how wind moves in it, there's been all kinds of discussions about why. But left or right field has got that, you know, it's a bit of a short porch for a guy like Judge. So that helps him. It helps the team overall. But I like him betting on himself. I mean, it's a great story. So, you know, he's going to get a, a huge paycheck. 
um, the, the question to me um, is largely about, you know, who, who's going to have the flexibility to do that. I keep thinking that the Dodgers are going to run out of steam on this. <laughs> but they continue to find ways to do it. And Steve Cohen and the Mets have made it very clear that they're not concerned about this new tax that's in the, in the latest labor deal that really targets him directly. He's like, nope, I'm not concerned about it. I'll go ahead and spend. I want to win. You know, and that, of course, has got to make, you know, not just the Yankees nervous, but, you know, basically the whole league. It'll be a, no more than, you know, two or three teams bidding on it. But, again, I love the story. If he hits 60 home runs, that's, a, that's an extraordinary thing given where the game is at right now. I agree. I just hope he doesn't hit any this weekend here in Toronto as he faces Ross Stripling, Alec Manoa, and Yusei Kikuchi. Uh, Maury Brown, thanks so much for taking the time. Enjoy the F1 race this weekend. Enjoy Yankees, Blue Jays. I really appreciate it, man. All right, man. You take care of yourself. Thanks so much. Maury Brown of Forbes. You can follow him at Bizball. Maury, um, with a little bit of connection trouble there, but we're all right. We're all right. Some good league-level insight from Maury there about what the economics look like right now, about what the AL East being as dominant as it is means for the league. Big brands, baby. We have a Yankees lineup, speaking of big brands and speaking of Aaron Judge. The Yankees will line up like this against Russ Stripling. Aaron Judge leading off in center field. Josh Donaldson hits second and gets a DH day. Anthony Rizzo, Giancarlo Stanton, DJ LeMahieu at third, Glaber Torres at second, Joey Gallo hits seventh and plays left. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and Kyle Higashioka rounds out the lineup for the Yankees. If you missed it a few minutes ago, the Jays will lead off with George Springer. Santiago Espinal hits second and plays short. Bo Bichette is getting a day off due to a foot contusion. He fouled the ball off of it yesterday. Uh, X-rays were negative, but he is dealing with some soreness there. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits third. Alejandro Kirk in the cleanup spot and DHing. Teoscar Hernandez, Matt Chapman back in the lineup. Despite wrist inflammation and soreness, he's going to be able to play through that. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hits seventh. Gabriel Moreno catches Ross Stripling and hits eighth. Kevin Biggio rounds it out, hitting ninth as the lone lefty in the lineup against Jordan Montgomery. We'll tee this up as we always do at the end of the show. A little more detail, but Jordan Montgomery is a fascinating pitcher to watch and fascinating against this Jays lineup in general, because it's no secret. The Jays haven't faced a lot of lefties this year. They really haven't faced a lot of lefties last year or this year who pitch like Montgomery. Um, He throws a sinker 34% of the time. That's a big change. Justin Choi had a great piece at fan graphs this week about Montgomery ditching, not ditching entirely, but scaling back on his four-seam fastball. Drew Fairservice mentioned it a little earlier in the show that league-wide, the trend was fastball up, fastball up, fastball up over the last little bit. It started to nudge back toward fastball down, but especially sinking fastball down. And that's those sinkers have been thrown harder and harder as the years have gone on. Uh, we also see in that Justin Choi article at Fangraphs that the run values of sinkers have almost matched fastballs now as sinker velocity goes up 
and sinker volume goes up. Jordan Montgomery has made great work of uh, that sinker to to strong effect. Um, and again, it was fastball up, fastball up, especially in September of last year, as Justin Choi points out in that article. Um, it looked like Montgomery was trying to become a pitcher who works up in the zone a lot more with that four-seamer, and he's gone away from that. It's sinker first. It's change-up second. About 61% of his pitches are fast are sinker change, uh, at least against righties. He won't throw that change-up much against lefties. You don't really have to worry about that when you line up the Jays' lineup. Uh, it's only Kevin Biggio from the left side today, Bradley Zimmer and Ryan Maltapia off the bench. Uh, you'd imagine Montgomery would be tough on those guys uh, regardless. His curveball is actually his best pitch for swing and miss stuff. If he throws the four-seamer, it tends to stay up in the zone, catch a little too much plate. You want to look for that four-seamer if you can. The issue is going to be if it sinks on you and it drops to the middle of the zone or it drops to the lower part of the zone, it's a weak contact machine. Opponents hitting just 238 and slugging just 330 off Montgomery's sinker. Also a big night for, for Russ Stripling, of course. We'll see if five pitches that he mixes well and locates well. And as Caleb Joseph said earlier with us, Ross Stripling's using a chessboard in his head to navigate these batting orders, to navigate each plate appearance uh, with those five pitches. He actually has a pretty good track record against this Yankees team. The Yankees available today have 110 career plate appearances against Stripling with an expected weighted on base average of under 300. Um, That's a stat that takes your walks, your strikeouts and your batted ball stuff and gives us an expected on base weighted on base average. Uh, Sub 300 is very, very good. And 110 plate appearances is a pretty good sample for pitcher versus batter data. The Yankees though are probably the best offensive baseball on balance. They haven't been over the last couple of weeks as the Jays have jumped them. The Dodgers are obviously very good. Uh, the Yankees, when you filter by, I, I thought I was trying to, trying to get some confidence going. I, I looked, how do the Yankees do against guys who throw elite heat versus guys who don't, uh, especially from the right side of the plate, not much change They're the number four offense against pitches that are 94 or faster. The number four offense against pitches uh, from righties that are not 94 uh, 94 and below. So not a lot of, we could get into some of the more pitch specifics and we may do that in a little bit. Uh, but after this break, we're going to talk to James Wagner of the New York times about if Alec Manoa could be a part of a Cuban MLB team in the world baseball classic, we're going to get to know Charlie Montoyo a bit more as well. James Wagner had a very good piece at the New York times about Charlie Montoyo's uh, musicianship and how that plays into his managing I will also ask him about the Yankees because he's a, you know, I know the New York Times isn't specifically New York a lot of the time, but you got to get everyone's Yankees take when a team is on pace to do some historic things with a slugger leading off on pace to potentially do some historic things in the home run category as well. Uh, That's next with James Wagner and we'll tee up tonight's game between the Jays and the Yankees next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Plus, hope you're having a nice Friday afternoon. My week's almost done. Got about half hour left. 
the Jays are just getting going on there. 7.07, first pitch against the Yankees. Ben Wagner on the call on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And you can check out our pal Caleb Joseph on Blue Jay Central on the TV side. Heading into that one. That music coming in. A little... Getting the vibe going. I would imagine if you're down at Rogers Center right now, if you're a fan, you can't get in yet. If you're media, you might be hearing that coming from Charlie Montoyo's office. Uh, joining us to talk about that, to talk about a bunch of stuff uh, around the Jays right now. From the New York Times, James Wagner. James, how are you this fine Friday? Uh, good, good. How, how are you guys doing? And uh, thanks for having me on. I'm doing well. Thank you for coming on. So uh, before we get into the baseball stuff, I know you were writing about this and keeping a close eye on it. Excitement level about the World Cup host cities uh, here in North America? Yeah, it's interesting to see, you know, the last time, uh, you know, the World Cup had come to the United States was 1994. So this is the second time the U.S. will be hosting. Um, and this is, and it's not just the U.S., obviously, as you know, it's Canada, U.S. and Mexico. So it's the first kind of three country bid. It'll also be the largest World Cup ever because it's expanding to 48 teams, 32. Uh, so, you know, now it's, what, 16 sites across three countries hosting 80 games. Uh, so it's even larger than ever, more countries involved. It's also just an enormous region, if you can imagine, from as far northwest as Vancouver to all the way southeast to, I guess, Miami, Mexico City, Guadalajara, Monterrey. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting to see. The, the 16 of the 22 that made the cut, the six that didn't end up on the list, seems like, you know, cities like Edmonton, Nashville, Orlando, which ones did or didn't. Uh, some of them were obvious, you know, like New York was going to get one, hmm. Toronto was going to get one, uh, L.A., Mexico City, of course, was going to get one. I guess it's now interesting to see over the next year when they decide which, which cities get which games, mm-hmm. the opener, the knockout game, and then obviously the final. So this was this kind of been a long process for FIFA to figure this out, the pandemic slowed it down but also like they're playing it close to the vest uh and they're kind of deciding uh who gets what games now that's the next decision the next decisions to make and make the schedule for now a larger tournament than ever what will be a larger tournament than ever? i'll tell you one thing james wherever canada's playing their first game that tournament uh whether it's toronto or vancouver or wherever i'll be there that's uh can't wait for that one can't wait for canada's uh, first world cup appearance in uh quite some time uh later this year so james I, I played you in with some fun music there you had this great piece in the new york times about blue jays manager charlie montoyo recently it's called in the club in the clubhouse a coach adds some flavor if anyone hasn't read that yet strongly urge it i believe the new york times even has uh, a deal right now for canadian subscribers so you can go check that out um were you able to get an idea of just how good a salsa percussionist Charlie is? Like, I, like are these people letting him up on stage because yeah. he's a baseball manager or because he can actually play a little bit? It's a good question. Uh, both. Uh, so, okay. the, the, you know, the introduction starts with, you know, he's the manager of the local team and he gets hired, obviously, ahead, ahead of the 2019 season. Um, and that season, the, you know, some of the musicians there at the Salsa Club Lula Lounge uh, had heard of Charlie's musical ability through a mutual friend. Would they have heard of everyone else's musical ability? You know, your musical ability, per se, if you weren't the manager of the Blue Jays, <laughs> but like, also from Puerto Rico. So, yeah, it's kind of both. So, so as Charlie told me, too, though, the salsa musicians, most of them love baseball, and he loves, and Charlie himself loves salsa musicians. So, there's a natural, like, uh, you know, introduction in that way, like your icebreaker, sorry, between the two of them. And so, in this case, yes, they went out there, they met him, uh, and he got to know them. He's 
like the musicians love him. He's almost like another band member, as, as one of the owner of the club said in the story, uh, that, you know, they've known him so well and he gets some tickets. They come to visit him. They even showed up at like, you know, two some in the morning and jammed till four in the morning uh, in his office there at the stadium. So, yeah, it's like a kind of good friendship in that way where he admires them for what they do. And then they also in turn admire him for what he does as a baseball player and now manager. It's great. And anytime the Jays are at home now, like that's, that's such great advertising for the Luna lounge. It's like, Hey, maybe you just pop in and you'll see uh, a Charlie Montoro performance. Who knows? Uh, it's great. So that something that really comes across in your piece, especially in talking to those around Charlie on the baseball side is that that music is not only a relaxation tool, but it, it kind of, it seems like it lets him focus in and do his thinking kind of free form. How, how much do you think that joy for music and it's his ability to use it to kind of block out noise helps in his day to day as a baseball manager? Um, a ton. I mean, as you can imagine, you know, just substitute salsa music for anything that anyone out there listening might do to help relax, you know, during a particularly you know, tough schedule or tough part of your year. And so for him, yes, this is like in his office. So he's got the drums, all the versions of the drums he has, sorry, all the different instruments from, uh, yes, from the timbales to the guido, so the other percussion instrument where you scratch and make a sound, to the congas, to the bongos in his office. So at any moment, he shows up early for a game, wants to relax, listen to some music, uh, maybe where you and I would listen to some music, maybe instead of read a book, whatever, he plays the music. So it's a huge part of him. And on top of that, though, it's cultural. I mean, he grew up around this music. He grew up around salsa. Uh, he grew up around baseball, obviously, as well. So it's not just a way to relax. It's home. It's this culture. It's what he grew up with, what he grew up listening to. Uh, and it's a huge part of his island back in Puerto Rico, salsa music, and other places, obviously, in Latin America. Uh, so it's, in that way, it's a way to say, I guess, it checks a lot of boxes for him. It's home. It's relaxation. He can think about stuff. Uh, one of the people close to him is saying that he thinks about the lineup for, you know, talking to the players, the front office, whatever. It's a way for him to process that stuff while he's playing music. When you look at the makeup of this team, it's a young team. It's a, it's a very culturally diverse team. How, and Charlie kind of came on at the time that this core group started building together. When you think about how an organization builds its culture, whether that's, you know, Vlad and Bo as kind of the faces of the team and how they'll be leaders, Alec Manoa's example, but the manager has a real hand in that as well. So when you think about not only how that affects maybe the day-to-day mood in the in the clubhouse uh, and Charlie's ability to kind of cut through tension that way, but also that that standard that you can bring parts of home with you and you can bring parts of personality with you to the clubhouse and that'll be welcomed. How big do you think that is? And did you get the sense that, you know, the players feel that too and embrace it as well? Yeah. I mean, the players I spoke to, I don't think I ended up quoting them in the story, but I did talk to several, but about what they thought of Charlie and then his embrace of music and perhaps what that says about him and his, his uh, personality. But yeah, I mean, like it's, it just shows his kind of liveliness, uh, his energy, uh, the kind of the fun that he has. Uh, some of them also pointed to the times he will get in their face if he has to, <laughs> or he will uh, stand up for the team and, and get a get tossed from a game, uh, barking back to an umpire, going out to argue things. So he has that other side. But also, you know, I mean, as much as the game is driven by front offices, and uh, I hate to use it because it's almost like we'll see it as like a bad word, but like analytics, uh, you know, that is a, the numbers are a huge important part of what runs this game. Uh, but uh, the players are playing, they're human beings. And if they don't like 
know or respect the manager or the, the manager doesn't have a good feel for, you know, how to manage personalities, I guess, uh, that goes a really long way. I mean, uh, there's teams I've covered where, uh, you know, the manager really didn't connect to the players, but they did have the personality to carry the team uh, in that way. And I think it really shows. And, yeah, the players, you know, when you're asking them to do something different or unusual or to push, give you an extra inning, uh, or they're going to sit because they're struggling. If you don't have that kind of human, that, that cachet with them, and they don't trust you, uh, it'll be harder for them to do that, harder to sell that, and then it all kind of spirals from there. So his personality, his, his experience, 18 years managing in the minors, four coaching in the majors, and then his long time, you know, his experience playing in the minors. He had a brief stint in the majors himself. He, he's done basically everything you could have do in the field. Maybe he hasn't been the all-star or the superstar, but he's seen all different perspectives of the game from coaching to playing, even briefly in the majors, that when he does come to the player and talk to them, I guess he knows what he's talking about. And it's not coming to someone that, say, you know, was a Hall of Fame player. And, you know, it, 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 things were a lot easier for him, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure the Mark Anthony and Vladdy connection doesn't doesn't hurt either with the agency and everything. But a nice yeah, little cherry. Spanish, though, too. Yes. Being bilingual and being able to speak Spanish to that side of the clubhouse, too, and bridge the gap in that way, communicate directly with the star, some of the star players who are Spanish is their first language, uh, really goes a long way, too. For sure. Um, so another piece you had recently at the New York Times um, was titled, For Cuban Stars, the World Baseball Classic Remains a Dream. And in that, you outline that there are a handful, maybe a large handful of Cuban major leaguers who would like to form their own WBC team. And Alec Manoa was one of the guys that you named that could be a part of that Um Tell us a little bit about, at the risk of, of asking a tell-us question, um, but what is, what is your sense of the likelihood of something like that? And, you know, I think from a Jay's perspective, getting to see Alec Manoa on the hill in that type of scenario uh, would be awesome. So is there, is there legs to this? Is this a fairly realistic thing? And don't forget Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Yes. Outfielder on that team, too. But... Yeah, I mean, it's a very uphill battle. I mean, long story short, uh, the WBC, the World Baseball Classic, um, is a sanctioned event by the governing bodies of the World Baseball Soccer Federation. Sanctioned as in there's rules that say not just anyone to form a national team, but you and I could get together. I'm not Canadian, but let's say you and your friends get together and say we're going to form a Canadian national team. Where the no, I mean, Baseball Canada is in charge of that, and that's what the WBC rules say. They're the governing body. And so with this group of Cuban players, they've defected, uh, and they're not allowed to play for their national federation, their national team. The Cuban federation uh, back in Cuba does not allow those players to play. They left. They see them as, you know, they abandoned the country. They left. They defected, uh, so they can't play. So the only people that can play for the Cuban national team, according to the Cuban federation, is players that are there, players under their federation. So a lot of players, as you know, have left Cuba, defected, come and have the chance to earn more money, live more freely, uh, and play, follow their dream of playing Major League Baseball or even in Japan or wherever it might be. So that's the tension. So the rules are there that say they you know just any random group can't just form a team, but their cause is because their case is different given that, so they're lobbying. So I guess hopefully that says it without saying it, just that how the uphill battle they face in trying to do this. Um, and I think it, they even acknowledge, and I think the story reflects that, the players even acknowledge the ones organizing this how difficult this is, and they're running out of time to be ready for the 2023 World Baseball Classic, which will be next, next March. Uh, but one solution, they think, or one way to maybe to prove themselves 
was potentially to form the, this Cubanos team, Cubans team. So they don't call themselves Cuba. It's Cubans, Cubanos, so all the people of Cuba, per se. They would, they would be ready for like an exhibition game or exhibition games, perhaps, next spring where they could play the teams headed to the WBC. It's kind of like a tryout for the future. But who knows? I mean, even though Major League Baseball and the Players Association kind of like organized the event, it's sanctioned by the governing body, and those are the rules, as I described earlier, that, that govern it. Well, here's hoping. I think that would be a lot of fun. You look at the the potential names on it that you laid out, and you just mentioned Lourdes Gurriel Jr. as well. Uh, that would be a very, very fun roster to watch play. Uh, James Wagner, thanks so much for the insight into Charlie and the uh, the World Baseball Classic and the Cubanos' potential there. Uh, really appreciate it. Keep up all the great work at the New York Times. Thanks. Thanks for reading, and uh, thanks for having me on, and take care. James Wagner of the New York Times. Uh, Charlie Montoyo with the salsa flair. It's fun. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I obviously I, I've spent a lot of time around the Raptors and, and Nick nurse has an element of that as well. I think it's good to establish for your culture that you're allowed. It's not the end of the world. It's encouraged even to have something that is a creative outlet for you and, and something that allows you to, decompress from the sport because yes you want your athletes and your coaches to be very very committed and be very focused uh it is not realistic to have someone 24 7 mind on the task and you would not want that anyway i think a lot of sports psychologists and and sports science people would tell you that that's going counter to your goals you want guys to be able to take a breather to refocus to to step back and, and come back if you step out you can step back in with fresh eyes at something so i think charlie sets a good example in that way they're going to need those vibes this weekend the yankees are here the jays squandered a chance to take 3 or 4 against the orioles yesterday with a 10-2 loss another tough kevin gosman outing the Yankees are not the team you get back right against. Not that things have been going poorly for the Jays. It's just there there are a couple series lately where they probably would have liked to take an extra game more than they did. They're 10 games back in the division. It's time now to take a couple off the Yankees and trim into that lead if you're going to uh, because things will get away from you sooner than they won't. Um, it's way too early to look at something like this, but purely to purely to illustrate the change that's happened here. Prior to the season, based on Fangraphs win total projections, the Blue Jays had a 44% chance to win the division. The Yankees had a 35% chance. 44 and 35. That has swung to 10 and 88 now. The Yankees have an 88% chance of hanging on to the division thanks to their 10-game lead so far. They and the Jays project to have almost identical records from here, which would mean no catching up. It would also mean the Jays host the wild card, which is great. That's not a bad spot to end up in. It just shows, though, that a lot of damage has been done in the divisional race. And as our pal Dan Zimborski outlined at Fangraphs not too long ago and, and on the show with us, it can get away from you earlier than you might think in a long 162-game season. So you'd like to take 
two this week. You'd love to take three, but you'd like to take two. SJ from North York, Texas in. Thoughts on Drake releasing an album on the eve of Jay's Yankees? Does this mean an automatic sweep? It did last time. Last time Drake did this, they won eight in a row. I don't know, though. I think this had more to do with uh, his confidence level in the Warriors wrapping up the NBA Finals last night. I don't I don't know how many times we've seen Drake uh, courtside at a Jays game. Uh, it's not the same level for him. Although, if there's one thing we know about Drake, it's that if the Jays get hot, he's going to leverage that for sure. And he'll be around or posting in, in the old uh, Vernon Wells era Jays hat or something like that. And keep those texts coming for the last 10 minutes here at 590-590. Let's go through the lineups again. Let's refresh you on what we're looking at tonight in Jay-Z Yankees, the first of three. 707, first pitch with Ben Wagner on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The Jays lineup as follows against Jordan Montgomery. George Springer, Santiago Espinal at shortstop hitting second. Bo Bichette's off today. Uh, due to a foot contusion. He fouled one off his foot yesterday. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Alejandro Kirk DHs and hits fourth. Teoscar Hernandez, Matt Chapman back in the lineup hitting sixth and playing third. He's dealing with some inflammation in his wrist uh, and some soreness, but he's able to play through it. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Gabriel Moreno hits eighth and catches Ross Stripling. Kevin Biggio, the lone lefty in the lineup, playing second base as Espinal slides over to short. Once again, you see the value in Espinal as an everyday player having that Utility man level flexibility. Uh, you lose Boba Chef for the day. You don't have to shoehorn someone else in there. You could just slide Espen all over and keep your best defense, your best defensive foot forward. Otto Lopez has joined the team, uh, but it's just on the taxi squad for now. Casey Lawrence is back up. Jeremy Beasley down. Matt Chapman and Boba Chef both dealing with what. They hope are minor things. It's not the worst idea to have Otto Lopez on the taxi squad. And we know that as of Monday, the Jays will have to ditch one pitcher in favor of a position player as uh, the exemption for more pitchers on the roster expires uh, for Monday's games. Danny Jansen also setting to, set to begin some light receiving work. Uh, those are your Jays updates. On the Yankee side, Luis Severino's back off the COVID list. That was like an 18-hour stint. I uh, don't think he had COVID. He must have been a, a false positive or, or something like that. So he's in the mix, but he's not scheduled to start this weekend. You're looking at Montgomery, Tyon, and Garrett Cole. Montgomery starts tonight. He's flanked by this group opposite Ross Stripling. Aaron Judge leading off playing center field. Josh Donaldson at DH. Anthony Rizzo, Giancarlo Stanton. DJ LeMahieu hits fifth and plays third. Glaber Torres behind him and playing second. Joey Gallo. Hits seventh, plays left field. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and Kyle Higashioka rounded out. Jordan Montgomery is a very interesting pitcher for the Jays to go against here. Elite ability to avoid walks. Elite chase rate. So this is a rare combination of someone who works outside the zone very consistently and very effectively. He's more or less abandoned the fastball that he was using up in the zone a lot. Last year, especially late, in favor of more sinkers. He's also tweaked his delivery a little bit. It's more of a three-quarter delivery than a than an over-top delivery. Um, not completely, but it but it's moved a little bit, as Justin Troy at Fangraphs pointed out this week in writing about his sinker. 
He throws that sinker around 93 miles an hour. He throws it 34% of the time. Opposing batters are hitting just 238 off of it with a 330 slugging. That sinker is a bad contact machine. And it's the only thing that the threat of that sinker is the only thing that keeps his fastball from getting tattooed. When he locates that four-seamer up in the zone, if you can tell it's a four-seamer instead of that sinker, you can tee off on it. It's been his hardest hit pitch. He'll complement the sinker with a changeup he throws 27% of the time, even more to righties. Uh, he won't throw it much against lefties, although, again, Biggio's the only lefty in the lineup, so you don't have to worry about that as much. 27% of the time, he'll throw that changeup. It has about 11 miles an hour separation from his sinker. He'll get it lower in the zone. Um, hitters do have a better contact rate against that than his sinker, but they whiff on it a lot more. He does a pretty good job hiding whether that's a sinker or a changeup coming out of the hand. He'll also throw a curveball. That's his best swing and miss pitch. He'll throw a cutter a little bit. And again, that fastball that if it's up in the zone and you can tell, it's a gift. But you're looking primarily sinker change curveball. He's had a very good season uh, to date. The Jays have very little sample against left-handers who throw hard sinkers like this in recent years. Uh, they do have 92 plate appearances collectively against Montgomery with a 350 expected weighted on base average, which is pretty solid. Uh, but he's changed his pitch mix and his approach enough this year that I don't know how high fidelity that information is. On the other side, Ross Stripling has faced this Yankees lineup 110 plate appearances. They have a sub 300 expected weighted on base average based on walks and strikeouts and batted ball data. That's really good. And Ross Stripling has been really good of late. Zero earned runs and two hits over 11 innings since rejoining the rotation. Hasn't faced lineups a third time through. He's gone two plate appearances a third time through the order. So the first and second hitter once. That's it. They're probably not going to experiment with that tonight against the Yankees with uh, Aaron Judge at the top of the lineup. Uh, you don't really get any room for error there. So you hope that Stripling's two turns through the order can get you through five innings, and then you turn things over to a bullpen that has been taxed. Kevin Gosman only going two and a third yesterday. You say Kikuchi having trouble going deeper into games. But Jeremy Beasley and Matt Gage really saved this bullpen yesterday by cobbling together five innings between the two of them. So only David Phelps from the higher leverage arms in that bullpen was used yesterday. You should have everyone else at the back end available, including Trent Thornton if you need multiple innings. And again, Casey Lawrence back up from Buffalo where he's been excellent. Don't know if I see enough in the actual breakdown of how he's been successful to think he's going to be a, a new pitcher at the MLB level, but it's worth a shot. He's been very, very effective as a starter at AAA. Uh, so maybe you get to see him. I, I would warrant a guess that if you see him, things aren't going super well or they're going fantastically well. We'll see how Ross Stripling holds up. This is the best offense in baseball. It's the number Three offense over this stretch where the Jays have been the best offense. Still really good. Even a coldish Yankees team by their standards hits the ball really well. They've also been the number four offense against right-handers who throw under 94 miles an hour. That's all pitches. We, we, I, we could go into the breakdowns for all five pitches, stripling throws. But the whole idea is that you don't know what's coming and you don't know where it's going to be located. Uh, and as Caleb Joseph told us earlier... He's working on a chessboard there. 
how does this game line up? I was a little surprised. The Jays are not significant underdogs in this one. It's almost a pick em. The Jays come in at minus 105, the Yankees at minus 115. So a slight lean to the Yankees there. I thought with Montgomery against Stripling, it might, it would lean uh, more toward the Yankees there. Over under set at nine. That's a, it's a pretty high over under in a game when you consider that they're also calling this game basically a coin flip because that suggests some confidence in the Jays' ability to get to Jordan Montgomery. Uh, the Jays have hit the game total over in 17 of their last 22. That's, uh, that's not too bad at all. We'll see, though. We'll see how this works out. We'll see what your confidence level is against Montgomery. Again, there, there's not a lot of sample. I, I know normally in this spot I'll go through some of the, well, this Blue Jay has had success against this type of pitcher or this specific pitch. Um, given Montgomery's profile and the fact that the Jays have faced so few lefties, there's not a lot of data to go off of. So you're looking at things instead like Vladimir Guerrero has hit the ball really well of late. 14 hits in his last seven, five extra base hits in that span. Striking out a little less seems to be in a bit of a groove. George Springer on the other end of that, but maybe you have confidence he can turn it around because he's George Springer and he always does sooner rather than later. Uh, Matt Chapman's kind of a big question mark in that regard because he had really started to hit the ball, but he is dealing with that wrist soreness. So I don't have a, a great feel for how tonight's game will go opposite Jordan Montgomery. I know that that's the job to give you a, a, a lean there, but the Jays haven't faced many guys like Jordan Montgomery and, and he's uh, had a really, really good season. So I uh, want to see this one at least once through the order. Maybe it's a, an in-play kind of night. Maybe it's just a sit back and watch kind of night. Nothing, no rules that say you, you have to bet on a game. You can. Um, we'll see though. So again, Bobachet out Tonight, with a foot contusion, he gets a day off. Santiago Espinal comes in a shortstop. Matt Chapman's back and playing third, even though an MRI revealed inflammation, backing up his soreness in his wrist. Gabriel Moreno catches Ross Stripling for the second time, and Alejandro Kirk DHs. That's how things line up. Ben Wagner has a call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. First pitch, 7.07. Thank you to our pal Caleb Joseph for coming on, who you can check out on Blue Jays Central before the game. Thank you, to Drew Fairservice, Maury Brown, and James Wagner for also coming on. Thank you to Austin and Derek behind the glass for helping me out through this one. Hope you all have a wonderful Jays-Yankees weekend, a wonderful Father's Day weekend, um, or just time with family, time with those who matter to you, uh, if not a Father's Day celebration. So uh, have a great one. We will be back Monday. Blair and Barker have you post-game I have a normal person's weekend, and then I will talk to you guys as Blue Jays Talk Plus returns Monday.